Ho ho, a ho, ho ho. Uh, this is improvised radio theatre with dice, with two old men with beards. That's me, Michael Kiel. And me, Roger Bell West. And as we'll uh, have gathered, we are doing this just in time for Christmas. Doom! Doom! And, um, and in order to give you something to think about other than turkey and Brussels sprouts, we're going to be talking about... What are we talking about? Uh, talking about hand-waving and, well, all right, we're going to be talking about Christmas and, and a particular event that's coming up. And uh, we're also going to be talking about a particular event I'm going to be running for one of my groups and how it can be made better than it was, would be, could be. Oh, yes. Even better next time. Yes. Co- uh, constant improvement by constant whiffling on about it on the air. Let's get on to the first bit of whiffling. Let me start by appealing to Roger for help. Roger! Help! Oh no, not again. Oh yeah, I'm afraid so. What do you think, what do you think I come around here for? <laughs> it is, I think we've, I mentioned this before, but it is my custom um, at... Uh, at the festive season, which we're coming up to, um, to have a day's gaming at my flat for the players of my regular Wednesday night group, because we uh, miss one or two Wednesdays, what with the uh, holiday season, and uh, we get together and have a um, a day of playing something slightly different. And this week, this year, I'm still thinking about what to do with the a little more than a month to go. So, here's the parameters. It's a one-off. I have four, five hours of people in my flat um, playing a scenario that that may or may not involve characters they've played before. There are six of them, up to six, uh, this year, since I've added um, one, I'm pushing my limits. And not all of them may t- turn up because Christmas. Um, some of them have families and some of them may have other commitments, even at the last minute. But humbug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you can't if you can't game at Christmas, when can you game? That's what I say. But be that as it may, I have to have something ready for them on that particular day. So what are the design parameters and what can I take as inspiration? In the past, I've used the season itself for inspiration. Um, I did a thing um, about, you may recall, that the end of the world was coming mm-hmm. um, uh, one Christmas a while back. Uh, we were supposed to roll over the Mayan um, uh, calendar, and I did something based on that. I've done, mm-hmm. I've done seasonal jolliness from time to time, but I'm not sure that's always appropriate. And I've thought about the number of people oh, I have, Six isn't a particularly inspiring number, but seven has, you know, seven dwarves, seven samurai, and I could possibly draw something out of that. But at the moment, I'm sort of hitting a dry well. So what are the parameters, what's good advice for putting together uh, this one-off for the season? Well, we talked briefly about seasonal games before, and I don't generally do them, though I'm not quite sure why, they just don't seem to fit with the way I do things. However, I, I do write an awful lot of one-shot games in general, okay. uh, because I've been running them as demonstration games at conventions. And the first thing that occurs to me in a, in a one-shot game in general is that you can think big. Yeah. Uh, in a game... But it, basically, in any game that's meant to last more than one session, you can't break the world. You can't even risk breaking the world. True. I, okay, maybe it'll happen sometimes, but it, it's not a it's not a usual thing. Mm-hmm. And if it does happen, it's going to be a big change in the way that that campaign runs. Yeah. After. But in a one shot, everything's in play. Um, True. The zombie apocalypse game I ran a while back mm. could quite easily end in an actual zombie apocalypse rather than the PCs containing it. In fact, on at least two occasions out of the three I ran it, it did. Hmm. Um, so you so you can have big stakes in a way that you can't in a weekly, yeah. weekly or whatever session. Um, so I tend to try to play to that. I am fond of things that strike me as neat ideas, but don't don't really have the legs to run as campaigns. 
few examples. Um, my my thing I always say about this is transitional moments. Yeah. The point at which the aliens are arriving, as opposed to the campaign, would be the aliens invaded five years ago and smashed civilization, and now that now we're rebuilding it. Mm-hmm. But the one shot could be they're arriving now. What do you do? I have in the back of my mind, um, and that, the thing is, this would require writing systems and um, and being brilliant. And God, I'm lazy. But uh, uh, as uh, a, a one-off scenario in which the players are the Galactic Federation embassy to Earth, and mm-hmm. they are um, having they dislike each other and have internal tensions. And they are um, they are there to try and contact this puzzling uh, but promising new world and decide whether to recommend it for membership, recommend it be exterminated, or what. And this would require this would be a less simulationist game than uh, than, than I often run, and it would require something in the way of an elegant system whereby I can get them set up in a hurry and off and running very shortly thereafter but I'm not entirely sure what that system ought to be well there's one cheat that occurs to me yeah. you take that basic setup and put the PCs on the other side of it yeah but hang on they're normally on the other side yes of but it. They, they, no, they, are, they are the representatives of the nations of earth no no they, know, s- how, they know how no, the no, nations of earth work no no I, that's what I was saying in the first place you don't start with them as the as the as the Earth people, you start with them as the galactic. People. Yes, I'm suggesting that flipping that round might make it easy to get the, the players. Well, it, up it to would. Speed. It would. Yeah, it's just not 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 as challenging. All right, Let, let's assume they are the they are for some reason this bunch of mismatched heroes are the people who well maybe they're the people who who the aliens have plucked out at random to sample. Yep, that would work. You wake up naked. You wake up naked is often a good starter of, of, of a one-off adventure. You wake up naked in in a cage in a in a, in a Galactic Federation starship. I seem to remember there was an issue of the Tick in which people were plucked from various bits of Earth's history to be Earth's champions in the in the Great Galactic Games. Ooh. <laughs> and it. it I seem to recall Eli Whitney, inventor of the cotton gin, was regarded by the aliens as, as one of the stellar examples of Earth personhood. Well, yes, he did something brilliant without thinking of the consequences. That's pretty much our species <laughs> all over. Um, yes, I'm not quite sure. There, there's a thing, FM Busby, uh, the Demon Trilogy. I think that's what I'm probably drawing on. Um, or about kidnapped humans breaking out of space jail and overthrowing the alien empire but I think that's probably a bit much for five or six hours worth of gaming yeah you can think in terms of film plots rather than book plots or short story plots rather than novel plots Um, because you've got that shorter period and you want to go to a resolution within that shorter period you do yeah Um, and you want to have several resolutions plotted out ahead of you yeah I mean I, I, I know people who when they're plotting out something like this, we'll think in terms of, okay, we're going to have a fight at this point, that's going to take about an hour of real time to resolve, we're going to have a talkie encounter that's going to take half an hour to resolve, and so on. Mm-hmm. I've, I've never gone into that much detail. And to be honest, I, I get situations where the PCs look at a potential fight and say, ah, here is an obvious way around that, which the GM hasn't thought of, let's do that instead. They do that, the bastards. I, uh, yeah, I do tend to plot... I do tend to, to, to mark out in my mind where any likely fights are going to be because it's simply because I want uh, gaming, gameable stats yep. uh, 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 outlined outline for the people I am going to put them up against. Yes, indeed. Um, talking always takes longer than you think. and They always come up with something you haven't thunk of. All right, that's, that's a, a, a neat possibility. One thing I should talk about is... A game system they know, or the game system they don't. I have in the past used this sort of session as uh, an excuse to try out a new game system, mm-hmm. and it's not a bad idea. But all the ones I've got queued up strike me as a bit more complex than um, than would be justified. I want to go with um, something I feel confident with, and if I'm going to use an, a game system that's entirely new to me then I'm going to want to 
have multiple sessions in which I try a little bit, try a little bit, go back and reread the rules and uh, and come back and say, no, we did that wrong last week. Let's go on from here, though. I, I would think that at the very least you'd want to be able to provide pre-gen characters mm. um, for a one-off. I mean, in yeah. general, I want to provide pre-gen characters for a one-off, unless the system is so very simple that you really can just do it in five minutes, which you know, a, lot, a lot of the new indie games are. Yeah. And so, some, something like um, Primetime Adventures. Yeah. That I, I've played in your games of a few times, which is quite literally zero prep, because it yeah. relies on the ingenuity of the people at the table. Yeah. The. But apart from that, I would say you 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 need to be able to get up and running into the game quickly, especially for a one shot. Not quite. I something like Prime Time Adventures. If I were doing the We Are the Aliens thing, something like Prime Time Adventures, or maybe Fudge, if I can get my head around a decent version of Fudge. Would be um, or fate would be the would be the sort of thing you'd, you'd want to want to use. Tell me the the one unique thing about uh, about your species. Tell me the one that yeah. you, and tell me which person around the which member of which species around the table you you're allied with and which one you hate. Mm-hmm. That would that would take no more than half an hour, forty five minutes to set up, I would think, and then. Give them some categories uh, that they can roll fudge dice in, and go with that. Yeah, you could even abstract it a bit and say what well, one of your categories is not so much how how strong or clever or whatever you are, but how much social influence your your race can bring to bear. Yeah, there's oh the the one unique thing is a rather neat idea out of Thirteenth Age, which is a uh, D twenty uh, uh, fancy D twenty variant that I'm not entirely in sympathy with. But basically, each character, rather than each race, but each character has one unique thing about them in the mm. whole world that makes them slightly cooler. Not necessarily an extra ability, but an extra background thing. Which is so, sort of turbo niche protection. Yeah. Uh, the, you're the only person in the world who knows this, who does this, who is this. And that's a, a really neat idea that I would love to see expanded into other directions. Hmm. Okay. Well, I have had, and you pointed out to me, a rather flattering thing on um, the Stabcon mailing list, um, saying that somebody really enjoyed the GURPS game that I ran at um, Summer. Would I be back doing more? That's sort of influencing me towards using GURPS, but I don't (laughs) want... Yeah, all right. Flattery works. Our listeners, notice this. Flatty or GM, it works. Um, But I'm sort of resisting that as it's it's, it's too... It's both... Very comp- quite complex, and it's also too easy for me to fall into. I must admit, I, I've i said this before, I, I need a reason not to use GURPS when I'm picking a system. Yeah. I'm not saying those reasons don't exist, but I need I need one rather than just, well, let's try something else. Okay. It's simplicity and it's ease with which I can um, pull a new character or a new stat out, out of the air. I can do that with GURPS, but only because I am uh, very practiced with it. And sometimes I get it wrong, and sometimes yep. my players call me on it. But if you're, if you're providing pre-gens, that, that's yeah. All right. relatively... Uh, that, the, the complexity of GURPS in play, as opposed to in character generation, yeah, is uh, relatively low, I find. Yeah, but on the other hand, if suddenly a need of character generation comes up in the middle of the session, you're a little stuffed. Yeah. All right, going away from the system and going back to what ideas, I, I, we've bashed about some science fiction ideas. How about uh, a fantasy idea? The, the Seven Samurai, uh, the Magnificent Seven, is all or variants of it. Mm-hmm. Or is a is a good. It ought to be a standard uh, scenario every GM does as an intro to to newbies because almost everybody's seen the movie and. Even if you haven't, it's easy to pick up. You've got a bit of talking, a bit of thinking, a bit of fighting. Yeah, you've got to you've got to relate with each other. You've got to relate with the villagers. You've got to relate with the bandits, and you've got to. And it gives you a chance for people to disagree amongst each other and yet come back and be magnificent at the end. Yeah, that that's an element that I think is um, a function of player numbers. If you've got six players, then they will probably be quite happy to have a bit of an argument for a while. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, in fact, in fact you're, probably, you're probably going to want, want to, the, to, to have something to focus them. I was thinking if we did that, you might want to give them a free choice of the seven and then have the one who isn't be the traitor, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. The one who isn't becomes the one who, t- who, who, who betrays them to the bad guys. I was also thinking about the seven dwarves, but I can't actually think of a way to get that into a scenario. <laughs> and who'd want to play dopey well almost all of them yes alright well you, you, you could have the situation that you, you've got this completely helpless um, princess or whatever Yeah, and you have to try to make her look good or maybe you are the seven dwarves um, after she's become queen and you know forgotten all, all her old friends and then suddenly comes back into their lives yep that might work I think the thing that you've mentioned earlier that strikes me as tempting, especially as we've been playing the board game um, uh, Dead of Winter, <laughs> is to use the season um, as a as a zombie setting. If I really wanted to go all tactical and um, and nail biting nastiness, I, I, I've spoken about my feeling against zombie games as a long term thing, but this could be an excellent excuse to. Uh, do it. It, it it does feel right to me always to have the option of playing the game so it fits the, 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 the time of year, the ima- things that are in the players' imaginations. Mm-hmm. And if the if the weather's howling outside, you might as well use it to make the situation at the table realer. I can't now remember which zombie film it was that was, was set at a shopping mall. Uh, it's mm-hmm. one of the classics. Yeah. But... Um, that that old metaphor for consumerism thing is probably you know, something that any any of your players are going to have been exposed to if they've left their houses yeah. or turned on the television <laughs> in, the, in the previous month. So. Oh, speaking of which, excuse me, this is a British rant here. I was outside Tesco's and they were a- advertising a Black Friday sale. Notice to corporate overlords, we are not Americans. We do not do this thing here. It's much cheaper to get people to work on the relevant Friday here because they don't expect to take it off to be with their families. Yes. <laughs> and we, we have no particular reason to spend the last Friday in November spending huge amounts of money. We're going to do that all the way through December. Yes. Oh, well. Yes, there's been at least one occasion, I think it was back in the 30s or 50s, where, when Thanksgiving was changed specifically to be a week earlier so, so that there would be more buying season. Yeah, I think, I think it was in the thirties, towards the end of the Great Depression. Well, uh, yeah, that's all. Uh, it sounds like the sort of radical thing you'd ex- expect out of FDR. God bless him, <laughs> Roger. If you had one of these coming up, what would you be inclined to run? Ah, uh, I actually haven't been doing that many um, writing that many new new adventures recently. Partly because people seem to be happy happy with the old ones. Um, <laughs> I, I'm actually vaguely tempted to do something in a traditional fantasy world, which I haven't for a while. Okay, six players. Yeah, so people are going to expect a dungeon bash, so what I want to do is play on those expectations. Go on. Not not with deception, but just to say, okay, uh, here, here is the underground complex within which is a thing you have to achieve, but just go, going in and killing stuff isn't going to be the answer. Perhaps there are factions in there and you, and you need to ally with one to... Um, Get past, get past, because you know, I'm strong enough to fight both of them, or something like that. I don't, I don't know. Yes, I'm only just um, prodding at this. Yeah, I, the, uh, I have played Dungeon Fantasy. The thing is that with six players, it multiplies the time that combat takes. Yeah, Dungeon Fantasy. Dungeon Fantasy for me is a bit over complex. Um, it's got a lot of detail in it. If you want it, mm-hmm. it's. Makes, but it makes it, those pregens a lot easier. Yeah, it, it, it is somewhat inspired by um, CRPG, dungeon bashing computer games. Yeah. And to me, that's not quite the flavour I'm after, but I, obviously for people other than me, this is great. Um, I, I tend to go for a, a rather simpler character approach. I do. All but one of the players has been in one of my long-running fantasy games, and it is a temptation at this time to bring out their quite gross and long-running um, uh, characters from those in order to give them an airing and uh, visit old friends. But I'm not sure that's the best use of their time. And 
if I'm not going, I want to go back to that world sometime, and to break it might be a bad might be a bad <laughs> idea. Um, yeah, though, if they're long-term characters, you have to live there. Presumably, they'll have a certain incentive not to. Yeah, but if I if I if I I, I go with the big dramatic possibilities, look look what the X Files movies did to, did to, did to the X Files. You and or virtually any TV series, you take it out into the into the cinema, and people are going to and the writers are going to want to do something really big mm. and potentially deeply annoying to it. Yeah, I see your point. Anyway, I think we've bashed around this one. I actually have a few ideas. Um, and I thank you, Roger. Um, if any of you want to get in touch with me about this, then please, please send us your ideas too. Don't do it in a hurry, because yeah, I've got to get this together by the end of uh, December. Let's move on a bit. following is an unsolicited uh, recommendation. We're both going to be going to Dragon Meet on the first Saturday in December. For once, this is actually a vaguely timely thing, assuming I get the podcast edited in time. That's in five days. <laughs> and we'll be um, looking around at the bright, spanking new uh, setting of... Uh, where is it? Uh, it's a small convention centre and hotel round the back of Earl's Court Big oh. Convention Centre. So, near, near West Brompton Station. Sh- shoving us out of the Kensington Town Hall, where we've been so happy for so many years. Yeah, well, it, it is a new uh, team running, yes. It's uh, yeah. Chris Birch and Modifius. Yeah, and they, uh, are being that... a bit more, they are being a bit more commercial and a bit more organised. They're actually having people pre-book um, role-playing sessions um, on yep. the internet. I'm gonna uh, be, at least I'm, an option, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be going and doing... Uh, I've booked in for the afternoon session of the Laundry Files to see somebody else running it. I hope they don't give me a magician character, because I don't bugger all. <laughs> I, I think I do get the impression that they're trying to take what has become not a bad show, but a show that is basically the same from year to year. It's true. And, and, and change it around a bit and make it a bit more exciting. Um, they, they've got a much bigger site. They've got um, three big role-playing rooms mm-hmm. separate from the main area. Uh, they've, they've got a gaming room for tournament stuff. Um, there's a bit of open table stuff uh, as well. And yeah. and about twice as many traders as before. I, I think they're going for general purpose. I mean, Dra- Dragon Meat has never been strictly role playing yeah. anyway. No, true. But, but I do I do get the impression from the list of traders they are inviting some of the miniatures guys in. Well, they'll 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 so, sell. I tend to yeah. buy small uh, small games as Christmas presents for my family, um, and that's sort of thing. I will be uh, leafing through the second hand uh, uh, game stores because everybody does, and oh, yeah. there might be something out there that I've been looking for for years, but probably not. Um, something or something uh, cheap I can be tempted with, but probably not. I'll be looking at any of. There is a stand for um, new, um, well, new and old indie role-playing games. I've not been keeping up with the indie uh, crowd so much, and I've been spending money on Kickstarter and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I think many of them have gone to Kickstarter. But to be fair, I mean, well, that's true. But uh, the the Kickstarters I'm currently being tempted by um, are. Um, are are still running um, uh, the Dracula dossier and um, a thing called Heritage or no Legacy, which is an Apocalypse World variant, <laughs> um, which um, which is um, another thing I was thinking of for my uh, uh, for buying for my uh, uh, Christmas group. But leave that, leave that to one side. Um, and I'll be, I hope are they going to be running um, the the people are going to be running games on demand there. I haven't seen that, but I don't, I don't know that mob. So okay, well we will see. We will see what there is. There anything new and sparkling supposed to be coming out this year? Um, I haven't heard much about releases. I think a lot of places, um, if they could get things out for UK Games Expo earlier this year, they did. Yeah, because that that was that is that is now unambiguously the huge show yeah. for games in the UK. And the, this and Dragon Meat was being speculated about at that point, but no, nobody knew it was going to be this much of an expansion, so people weren't going to hold things back to that. OK, well, um, we'll see how it goes. Robin uh, Laws will be there, and Ken Hyde, yep. I, I think, and other illuminaries Ill- of, uh, of the event, of the yep. field. Uh, they, they are going for longer hours. I don't know 
I think they've said they've got the venue till midnight or something like that. Yeah. I, I don't know how many people are going to be staying that late. Well, not me, maybe, because I've got a party that evening. Ditto. Um, but it definitely looks interesting. And if, you, if you're if you within range of London for a one-day convention this coming weekend, at time of broadcast, um, I'd say give it a look. I not, will say I do hope the food will be better. I'm sure it will be better. It, yeah. it could not exist at all and it would still be marginally better. <laughs> But on, on a more general note, given given the season, what do you want for Christmas? Oh, what do I want for Christmas? In in a role playing context, um, I would like suddenly to uh, to receive the two things I kickstarted be finished months in advance. But that isn't going to happen. <laughs> I would like, um, ideally, I would like some of the SJ Games. Um, PDFs to be available as as printouts. I might buy some of those. Hmm. I would like um, I would like something from the uh, indie small press thing which makes me go, oh yes, that sounds really cool without me immediately looking at the details and going, oh yeah, well they've done it that way, have they? But that may be a function of my old age. No new ideas under the sun? Or the cloud in this case? Yeah, it's, it's, when, it's not when they don't have new ideas, it's when they duck them that uh, that, that annoys me. But I, I I don't know. I want to be surprised at Christmas. I want something to come up that will spark my heart and say, this is truly wonderful. But I'm not looking forward to any specific releases. I'll probably continue to feed my Ars Magica addiction just because I can, you know. I'm never going to get to play the damn thing, but, you know. I'd really like to play it one of these days. I just, yeah, yeah, and I, I must admit, most of the role-playing stuff I buy these days is for GURPS. Well, um, yeah, and they don't announce those in advance the way they used to because there are difficulties, there are, there are delays, people get very fed. If you've been told you can have this in March and it turns up in June, people get much more annoyed than if it simply turns up in June without prior announcement. Yeah, yeah, you should be more patient, mate. You should you should be amongst the subscribers to the Guide to Glorantha, some of whom <laughs> are, st are still awaiting that, that ring at the door by parcel force. <laughs> Not many, only two or three. I am waiting for the Mogo counter sheets I ordered a month or so ago, but anyway. Um... Yeah, but because of that, and I, I'm involved. I've been involved in playtesting some of the stuff that's coming up, but that's under non-disclosure, and I can't talk about it. Yeah, uh, I do want to see vehicle design for fourth edition. Um, uh, this, this is I know it, it's got. Yeah, yeah, I'm giving third, him a look here. Yeah. Vehicle design for third had a bad reputation, and and I think it was misunderstood because people assumed that it was a book you were supposed to use during a game. You're supposed to be designing vehicles in a game. No, no, no. It was never that. It's just that. Something that attempts to be a model for everything from a wheelbarrow up to a starship strikes me as a daft enterprise in the first place. It's been done on at least two other occasions in commercial this, publication. This does not <laughs> recommend itself to me. The thing that I like it for, uh, the thing oh. that I've used it for, is... For example, um, one of the first GURPS 4th edition games I ran, I actually used vehicles from 3rd Ed... Yeah. to, to uh, stat up the starships because what I wanted was an array of starships each with their specific advantages and disadvantages mm -hmm. so th this one um, takes freight from orbit to orbit yeah. uh, and can't land anywhere this other one has the landing gear built in so it can go to places that there isn't an orbit port mm -hmm. but because of that it can't carry as much cargo and it won't pay as well per yeah. trip well, that, you're, you're a gentleman who cares about the details well, the, as far as I'm concerned, the, the classic space trader game is, to some extent, about caring about the details. You, you need to keep sure. track of how much money you've got. Have you got enough to make the bank payment? That, that, is, the, that is the standard traveller model. Mm. It, various people noticed that, actually, um, and at least some iterations of traveller, this model is carefully rigged, so that if you just obey the law, you don't have enough to make the bank payment, ever. <laughs> so, so you have to go and do adventuring things, which is fair enough. Yes, well, yeah, it's sort of like uh, it's like uh, if you look if you looked in the real world at the success rate of restaurants, nobody would ever ever open a restaurant. But yeah, they couldn't do it. The, the, this allowed yeah. me to do things like um, considering that, that there is a large large shipping corporation moving into this area. Yeah, 
they, they want to extract as much money as they can, how are they going to go about it? Are they going to have great big ships that go from one place to another and just drop off a bit at each place? Are they going to have express ships that just go from point to point? Are they going to have the hyperdrive staying out far out in the system and a, and a smaller ship not carrying the hyperdrive going in system to where the, where the people are and the trade happens? Things like that. This is, this is a GM preparation tool, is, is what I'm getting at here. Yeah. I, I spent a couple of days playing around with spaceship designs, getting some idea of what would work and what wouldn't work, mm. producing a ship that was plausible for PCs, um, su sufficiently marginal that they would have to go to interesting places, uh, but sufficiently useful that they could actually have a reason for going to interesting places rather than just selling the ship and drinking beer all day. Yeah, there is a, there is a terrible temptation to sell, to sell the ship and drink beer. I think if you're going to fight it or trade with it, then this sort of detail is useful. I'm never quite sure where the starting point is for something which tries to model technology that doesn't really exist. Consistency. We'll talk about that later. Okay. Okay. But if you want it, Roger, then I hope Santa brings it to you. The, the other thing it's, it's nice for is where you've got a campaign where the ship or the vehicle or the base or whatever yeah. is a character in itself. I mean, Star Trek is the classic model for this. Yeah. People care about how long it takes you to get from the bridge to engineering when, when the torpedoes are coming in and you're in a hurry. Yeah. Um, and this is this is not a thing that a, a more lightweight system will give you. And, uh, well, if if I had my druthers, there would be a good means of building a city um, not only in the architectural but also in the social and um, organizational and trading sense you've seen city stats right yeah and it's pretty lame mm, i liked opinion. it well hang, hang, i i'd like there to be a, a, a computer generator other than um, campaign cartographer which for those who who understand cad is uh, computer aided design is a is a I'm sure a pretty neat tool but um, is a bit clunky. I design a webcomic with with three D modeling software and I found it pretty clunky. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I would like I would like something that could uh, build me a, a city and I could put it to, together and say here look at this this is where you're living because if 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 a ship can be a character, a city damn well is. Absolutely, yeah. But yeah, that's, it, it, that's... it's not just what's the architecture like, it's which neighbourhoods do you not want to go to and what happens when you do. And um, where does the river run and how does that affect um, the sewage? And um, there's, there's all sorts of things I would like to know about cities, but I have to hand wave it. And that's coming on to another topic, isn't it? Yeah, I, I will just put in a, a last... Uh... Plea? Recommendation. Okay. Uh, it's not what I want for Christmas because I already have them. Um, any, anything by Hans Christian Voltish if you're if you're interested in firearms of a specific period. Mm. Uh, he's been writing. I, I will look up the publisher, but the Investigator Weapons series for Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. Which are started for any of the Call of Cthulhu various systems you can use and can trivially be adapted to other things as well. Um, for example, I have recommended his World War II investigator weapons to the players in my World War II campaign. Yeah. Not necessarily because you want detailed numbers about things, but because it has a little potted history of not only the obscure stuff, but also the fairly common stuff. Yeah, I'm afraid I take the Feng Shui. And Feng Shui too is one of the Kickstarters I would like to finish mm. tomorrow, please. But it's not going <laughs> to. Um, yeah, I backed it. Yeah, I didn't go for the, I didn't go over the, over the top. Um, uh, feng Shui, I, I take the Feng Shui approach that guns are not as important as the gun nuts think they are. But it makes players happy. Yeah. Um, there are probably limits to... Actually, uh, no, I'm perfectly willing to sit and nod and say how interesting if the players <laughs> want to go on at me about guns. Um, and and uh, I, I can lie and pretend interest, but honestly I'm not. There, there was an occasion a little while back which ended up with uh, one, of, one of the players managing to locate online the operation manual for a World War II American submarine torpedo tube. My players do things like, things like that. It's, it's from from nice. which we verified that it was actually possible to fire a British torpedo out of them, though not with full capabilities. <laughs> and that this actually made a minor difference to the course of the war. 
as modified. <laughs> Let's pass along. <laughs> This isn't me asking for help, um, quite, but it's a response to uh, something that happened at my last uh, game of the Laundry Files last Wednesday, and it's um, a topic I'm going to call Handwavium, or Foie Foie Foie, as one of my players always describes it. Hey. I was playing a scenario in which the player characters, um, civilian agents of the Laundry, uh, the British government's uh, occult intelligence wing, were out in a Central African country in order to uh, resolve certain questions about a kidnapped uh, trio of British hostages and the black and deadly cult that the uh, local government appeared to be deeply entwined with. Towards the end, uh, they were in there and had the ability to call in an SAS team. And uh, when things started to get sticky, they did. Very wise. And towards the end, there were a number of short statements of, this can go this way, and you might want to use the SES in this way, and this can go that way. But I found myself faced with the fact that I didn't want to, and really couldn't, run a scenario in which, uh, I think it was half a dozen uh, plus an officer, no, I think it was nine plus an officer SAS uh, troopers um, did most of the fighting whilst keeping the um, player characters interested. So it tended to, uh, to happen that the player characters would set out the parameters of what they were going to ask the SAS to do. And I would say, all right, fair enough. You roll a roll for the general result of the SAS on percentiles and I'll roll for the result of the people who are trying to stop them. And this reduced, by hand waving, a quite complex set of scenarios to, a set of circumstances to one pair of dice rolls. And afterwards, my, one of my players expressed some discontent with that, but I'm not quite sure what else I could have done. It was a situation in which the game system does not provide for sufficient um, support for the whole thing to work. Something like the GURPS mass combat system might be useful in that sort of thing. But yeah, that tends to reduce each day's battle, each hour's battle to one set of roles, highly modified. By yeah, you, you you might be crack, you might be cracking the limits of that a little bit, but it could, in theory, give you some support for this sort of thing. Yeah, it was well. Yes, they are supposed. It is supposed to be about um, much lar larger larger units than uh, than just uh, three three man squads, an officer, and some civvies. But I don't see this sort of thing falls into the gap between what uh, mass combat and indeed real wargaming would do, mm -hmm. and what role-playing normally does, yeah. which is your players, characters, plus uh, a manageable number of enemies. Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning, just in passing, um, some of the very early games we've been looking at, mm -hmm. um, like the um, when we looked at World War Two last year, yeah. uh, the, the neighbours escaped me, I'll put it in the show notes, uh, it's basically a mass combat, a, well, not a mass combat system, but a squad combat system, yeah. which would be perfectly suited for this sort of thing. And that was the sort of thing that just used to be called a role-playing game, yeah, because it wasn't a war game which was bigger. Yeah, the but, mass, yeah, yeah the, that sort of thing, uh, squad leader der derived, you, you've got counters which are individual uh, persons, and you're fighting at that level, mm -hmm. but that's 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 a war game, and that's something I'm neither qualified to nor really interested in setting up. But my player had a point, and I was forced to resolve some quite drastic situations with very few dice. Well, they had to take my word for it that I was taking all the circumstances into account. 
And yes, the, given did. the fact that they managed to lose the SES, all all of the SES, but one person, when they when they were forming a meat shield as they went into the um, went into into the lair of the big bad, um, they probably have some grounds for complaint. Um, as I, I've managed to damage their reputation, it wasn't that high amongst the SES to start with. It must be said, hey. they lost they've lost people like this before. But is there a way? Is there a way to fill that gap between? A totally different game, and what role playing is focused on. You're going to fall off the edge in, with different games. How do you cover it other than to say, generally roll a di- uh, roll some dice and we'll see what it says? Um, one thing that occurs to me straight away mm-hmm. is that let us say somehow you were actually playing this all out using your primary role-playing system. Yeah. There would be a lot of die rolls, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s of them. Yeah. If you were replacing those with one die roll, yeah. then the most crucial thing is, is the central limit theorem. Um, you, uh, you, uh, my eyes glaze over, but I keep nodding. If, if, if you want to interpret those as one single die roll that says how well things went, yeah, then it's going to be a lot closer to the middle than an individual percentile roll would be. Hmm. Or an individual, whatever role your system is. Uh, I was I was using a pair of di- dice rolls, one for for the good guys, one for the bad guys. Yeah, what what, what I'm saying is, if you're using D percent, yeah, as your as your major thing, then quite probably what you ought to have is, it, both sides roll a number in the range forty to sixty, mm. to show how well things went, not, and and then if if they go to forty or a sixty, then they might possibly have exceeded mm. that limit. It's very unlikely that in aggregate things will go superbly well or superbly badly. Yeah, um, the auto averaging dice. I'm remembering yeah, something in, called in averaging effect, dice. Something like that, or, or just roll a lot more and add them all together. We'll give you a, a workable simulation. Uh, oh, dice pool. Yes, actually, it occurs to me that um, rolling a d10 for each of the individuals involved. Leaving aside the player characters, because yeah, because they they've got their own system. Anyway. They've got their own, own own system. I'm trying to resolve what happened between masses of NPCs. Yeah, it occurs to me that if I roll um, a a d10 for each individual NPC and take into account their 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 relative strengths, then I'm going to be able to say. Yeah, it's going to be more likely that there will be survivors on 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 both sides. Yeah, and what what I'm trying to get at here is don't take extreme results as actually indicating extremes. Well, it has to be said that the final result that led to the disaster was fair was fairly extreme, but um on both on both sides. But um, yeah, I, t- I take I take your point. I but I think in in individual cases an extreme result should. Um, Make some indicate the extreme. Sometimes, yeah, and a, a, a thing I've done in this situation in the World War Two game, we've occasionally had that the the PCs are going along with a military unit to do something. Yeah, and generally, what I, what I will do is is treat that unit as a sort of super PC. Yeah, uh, they, they will make a couple of rolls to hit, and the other guys will make a couple of rolls to hit. And if, if people are starting to get hit, then I say, okay, is this a PC getting hit or not? Quite possibly randomly determined, um, and if so, that, then you go into detailed resolution. But otherwise, you know, as in a, a lot, a lot of the thing I've been playing recently is is um, classic board game harpoon. Yeah. Now this simplifies shooting at aircraft. In that an aircraft is either okay or it is out of the game. That seems realistic. But an, an aircraft that is out of the game might be completely destroyed. It might be just slightly damaged so that it can't carry on its mission, but it can quite happily limp a few hundred miles back to the carrier. Yeah, that's below the resolution of the system. And really, something you don't want to care—you don't care about unless you're running a campaign in which assets are carried over. Yeah. So similarly, in this, it seems to me that you could say you, your your soldier's status is either still fighting or not. Yeah. And it's only when you start going around with the, with the first aid kits that you actually care about the distinction between mm. splinter in the toe and dead. Yeah, well, the, uh, yeah, I, t- I take I take your point. The 
Um, I do recall reading a mass combat-ish system for uh, Rain called Dynen, um, which I really perhaps should take a, a closer look at again as possibly something that I could use to fudge ideas from um, about resolving this sort of thing in the future. Um, I've never played war games, um, and therefore I probably have insufficient feel for resolving mass combat. It's always been something that's been in the background and not mm. something I've needed to know about any more than I need to know how they how to forge a sword. Um, it's always a, a special effect. It's something sure. that NPCs know. Um, but it worries me if I'm being unjust to the situation or to the players or inconsistent. And it always worries me if I'm I, if, if it makes the players think I'm being unfair. A thing I like about Gertz Mass Combat is, while it does resolve the actual fighting in a relatively small number of die rolls, yeah. it, it is not designed to be a war game. Mm, it, no. You're not expected to play it on its own. It is quite specifically there to be based around the activities of PCs, whether or not they're actually in the fighting force. So yeah. you've got lots of roles for reconnaissance and plotting and spying on the enemy and all, all that sort of thing, the sort of thing PCs do, which can give quite substantial, mo substantial modifiers to the actual yeah. fight. Um, and s similarly, um, one, of, one of the first mass combat systems I used for a role-playing game was Warlord for Rollmaster. Yeah. which was unique at the time in that it didn't just say, right, your PC is, is, a, is a heroic leader. It could account for your PC is, is a grunt in that formation of 200 archers. What happens to him yeah. during the battle? The, yeah, I think this goes back to... I, I think it goes back to one of the earliest role-playing games, On Guard, where you never actually worried about all these battles at the front, whether they affected the French army or French foreign policy very much. What you worried about was, what's the chances of my character dying, uh, getting promoted, uh, finding some money, and getting mentioned in dispatches? <laughs> Three out of four, good. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and, uh, and how is that affected by whether he's a colonel in the Royal Foot Guard or a miserable, uh, in a, a miserable private in the uh, Piccadilly Musketeers? <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I, I, it, it is tricky. I, I think to, to answer the overall question, one has to play it by ear. Yeah. I, the the problem here is that a player was unhappy with the situation, not that the situation was not resolved perfectly. I was not. I was not one hundred percent happy with the situation myself as I was doing it. I realised I was making it less detailed and therefore less interesting mm. for the player players, but I didn't see another way to resolve it quickly. At the time, and perhaps I should have prepared better. It strikes me that there must be, there frequently are, bits where the system fails you, where the system yeah. is, where the, the story takes you into areas that the, the game isn't, isn't mechanically, um, detailed enough to handle. And then you have to go, foie, foie, foie. Um, but, um, yeah, the player, the player who says that is the player. Who bitched a little? Hello, Drac, if you're listening. Um, and uh, and sometimes he says it in a in a good good mannered uh, tone of voice. No, no, let him let 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 Mike do that. It's just foie foie foie. And sometimes he says it in a disgruntled tone of voice. Still, it's a thing to watch out for in all in all mm, games. Yeah. The the bits of the mecha me uh, where the, where me mechanics fail, and you can't quite. Theoretically, universal systems like uh, HeroQuest and, um, to a lesser extent, Fudge can always come up with a role that you can make. But everything tends to get reduced to the same mechanic, and that's bad in other ways. Yeah, because you lose flavour. The situation you're talking about, you you lost a certain amount of flavour. Yeah, it's true. And I, I it, because of that, they weren't as well into the scene as well. It wasn't as well described as well realised as it could have been, and therefore um, try to do better next time, Michael. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, I must admit, when when you sent me the notes for um, this this segment, yeah, I interpreted hand waving in a completely different way. Okay, let's talk uh, about hand waving two because the revenge. The, the, there's been a uh, thread on the Steve Jackson Games forums recently mm -hmm. um, about consistency in des in designing a setting or a yeah. campaign. 
under the heading Mystery Science Theatre 3000 Mantra. If you're wondering how he lives and breathes or other science facts, just remember that it's just a show. You should really just relax. Yeah, I like to shoot uh, scriptwriters who say things like that. I, I may I may have to uh, hire professional assassins to cull Hollywood. Probably a good idea anyway. Uh, the, it, it's all, it can all be blamed, I'm afraid, on Alfred Hitchcock, a gentleman for whom I have great admiration, not just because we share a birthday, uh, but with his idea of the MacGuffin. He felt that the plot device at the centre of his mysteries didn't matter it was the it was the exciting things that they were caused to happen that mattered. Well, you can do this, but isn't it more interesting if it if it can if it's interesting in itself as well, and if it makes sense? The, the people argue against fridge logic, but um, the the which is uh, uh, a TV tropes term for what happens after the show when you're going to the fridge for a beer. And you think, hang on. That didn't make any bloody sense whatsoever. How did the moon lay an egg like that? Yeah, if the um, if the show can keep you entertained during the show, then that is one level of success. Yeah. On the other hand, I, I'm trying not just to say lazy writing, because I say lazy writing a lot, because I get annoyed by it. But I think role-playing games in particular are, are a different mode of storytelling, insofar as they're a mode of storytelling at all. Yeah. And it is more important, because of the way they work, to to be a bit more careful about consistency. And in, in a TV show, you, you can say, this week we did this amazing thing, and next week we will just forget about it completely, because there's a different writer working on it, and it's not going to become part of the long-term structure of the setting anyway. Yeah. In a role-playing Why, game, you, yeah. you, you can't tell the players, oh, just don't be interested in that anymore. Well, you can't. The thing is, they're going to be interested in it at the time. You build it, and they will take it to pieces and see how it works. And not just treat it as a problem of the week. We have to we have to escape from it and then... Yeah, no, they will say to you, Michael, you remember three weeks ago when you said this? <laughs> what about that? Yeah. And um, sometimes they're out to build an advantage for their for their group or for their p- particular character, and sometimes they're just asking, and it's a perfectly reasonable question. Yeah. I've, we were t- I was talking about Numenera a while back, and I've got to the GM's section of Numenera and read it with interest. My problem was, uh, and for those of you who don't know the the game, it's set in the far far distant future, the Ninth World, where supposedly. Uh, far, far longer than our universe um, is ex- our, our solar system is expected to last in the future. Earth has been um, has been the home of nine separate um, super scientific um, civilizations, uh, one after another, species rising and falling and dying and being reborn. And the players live in the re- in, in the ninth world, in the remnants of all this, with all the junk of all these previous civilizations. <laughs> and I was saying to you, Roger, that I didn't know how I could make it all work together. And I got to the gym section, and it sort of goes, you're not. Weirdness, says the author. Let it be weird, and that'll be all right. The players don't have to understand how it's working. And I thought, yes, but I do. Yeah, and even apart from that, one of the things that players, in my experience, like to do Mm. is they look at the sheet, not just the character sheet, they they look at their experience with the game so far. They they, they treat that as a toolbox. Mm. I I have this spell, and I know that guy that we met a few sessions back, and this other other power is, is... is yeah. theoretically available for purchase, and if we combine these, we can we can assemble them into something really interesting. It it, it it's Lego. Yeah. And, <laughs> and this is a thing that at least my players like to do. Yeah. And I th- I think they should be indulged in that. But you but if you're going to do that, then then you have to have all the studs the same size or at least similar size. Yeah. You you you've got to be able to work out when somebody says I'm going to use this spell on that device, what happens. And you have to say this is magic, and that isn't. That that there's a tendency to say it's magic, and mean it doesn't have to make sense. But for each game I'm in where magic of a various sort exists, I have 
a sense of what that magic is in the in the game world. Only a sense. I mean, I only have a sense of how. Let me see now. Um, numerous things work in the real world. I only have a sense of how computers work. I only have a sense of how um, accountancy works. To be perfectly frank, it doesn't. Shush. Well, um, what's the what's the, what's the occupation that's too for people who are too boring for accountancy? What's the beginning of an actuary? Actuary. That's the one. And I have absolutely no sense about about how that sort of statistical analysis. Oh, it's great fun. I, I, I'll take your word for it, Squire. <laughs> works, but I know it, it works. I have a sense, and I, I could I could I could point to it happening in the background of a of a of a real world thing, and I have the same sense with the with the magics and other phenomena that happen in my fantasy worlds, and I can say this would make sense and that would make sense. If you want to do that, you better appeal to the gods. Yeah, well, with, with single author fiction, you, you can always have the cheat of saying, well, just nobody thought of doing that. Mm. If there is a loophole, players will find it. Yeah. If there isn't, they'll find it anyway. Uh, uh, game, games to me are very often about solving problems. Mm. Uh, as, as a very broad summary, I mean, there is bad stuff going on, PCs try to put it right. Yeah. Um... And there is a question of scope. I mean, how much say do they have in what plan they're going to make to solve the problem? And if, if it's just, you know, we bash the monster or mm. we, we go to the scene, we collect the clue token, we follow it to the next scene, then the answer is not very much. But if you can move out beyond that, yeah. they need to make plans, they need to know what resources they have, they need to know what they can use those resources to do. Uh, it may not be a world that they understand fully, it may not be a world that works like ours, but then there needs to be some sort of structure where, where the GM at least can answer questions. Yeah, the it is the delight of the GM, at least for my kind of GM, when I don't have to lead them by the hand. I And they will go off and do other things. Um, and if I find myself, as I have recently, setting up a test for players in which there is only one right answer, then I think I've probably done something wrong. Um, I, I had to I had to lead some players by the hand when they were despairing in, in something I'm doing with my Monday night group, and I felt they weren't despairing. They were looking at me saying, "What do you expect us to do now?" And I had to lead them by the hand, and it was bad design and and bad jamming. On the other hand, a little later on in the same sequence of questing tests, a player came up with something I hadn't thought of. It's not entirely to his disadvantage. He, he chose to run away and try to lead the bad guys up a different route, rather than staying and dying nobly, mm -hmm. as was written in the, in, in the text. Um, and it's not going to be entirely to his, his advantage that, he, that he's pulled this. But it was something new and something I hadn't thought of, and I felt relieved and joyous that they had found something in my rather linear adventure that uh, that, that allowed at least one of them to do something different. Mm, yeah. My favourite anecdote in this regard was the time that they uh, they got the blue dragon of Ware on their side by having their magician shape change into a dragon and sire um, uh, uh, a new dragonette on on her. Um, and I felt like applauding, and on those occasions, it's it's wonderful. But I can't, couldn't have done that, unless I had a sense of what magic was capable of, what the dragon were, were was motivations were. It mystery is wonderful, up to a point. And if you never get a handle on things, if you can't tell what's going on, it's wonderful up to a point. It's wonderful as long as it's promising new things and new wonders. But when it gets to be a brick wall, then it's terrible. Yeah, I, I've generally felt that supplements which... It's all very well to give the players a thing that, that is written in-universe. It's this particular person's viewpoint about yeah. how things work. That's fair enough. They, they can allow for that. When, when you are telling the GM how to run a game, I think you, you know, the GM has to run with what he has. 
I will say that that seems that seems to me like cheating to to say, oh well, that was unreliable. We're going to release this supplement that's completely incompatible with it. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with that with Glorantha, for instance. Glorantha has four separate explanations for how the universe works, at least. How many of them do PCs interact with, though? Uh, one, two, three, at least, and ah, okay. some, sometimes the fourth. Well, the thing is, but but they're, all the material you have is from the subjective point of view of the of the people who believe in the in the four explanations, and there is objective evidence for this for each of those points of view in in the god on the god plane in the in the hero time but all of them are true and all of them are made false by the other explanations it's it's like what's that japanese film rashomon mm. um there is a truth out there but even the gm only has approximations of what the truth is but i can handle that but the ninth world so how do you handle it when they clash um, by showing that not everything has absolute power, that each of the four worlds can affect the others in their own way, and by only having players function from one point of view at a time. None of them are going to be Arkat, the first great hero quester who broke through the uh, the walls of of all of the worlds, and and saw all of them except maybe the mystical one. He never became a dragon, which is probably just as well. See from their point of view at that moment in time, and maybe later they will understand other things. But they also they also have to make allowances for there being people who believe stuff that's different from theirs, <clears throat> and and I can handle that. But when when there isn't a handle to be got, not even a partial one, then I, I find myself falling to pieces and saying, wow, 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 and that's what's happening to me with human error, which I, I admire in many ways. It's, it's a, it's a work of, um, it's a work of, uh, of, of great dedication and artistry. And I'm, I'm sure there are people out there who love it, but I don't think it's for me after, you know, taking all this effort to read it. Yeah, I, I start, all right. I was trained as an economist, among other things, and I'm, I, t I tend to look for economics in things. Uh -huh. uh, say, um, PCs are hired on as guards as, on a merchant caravan. Yeah, classic thing to happen. Well, uh, what is the caravan carrying? It should be something that's cheap as one, at one end and expensive at the other. Um, and uh, light per uh, per unit of value. Yeah. So, what what is that, and how much of it do they have? That tells you how much they're going to have available. Yeah, that tells you what the profit of the run is. Yeah. So, okay, how much do they get paid? How much does horse fodder cost? If I know these things, mm. and I've got some idea of how likely a bandit attack is, and so on, then I can have a sensible thing. This is how much. This is how much they want guards. Yeah. This is how careful they're going to be about whom they hire as guards. Mm. Think things that directly affect PCs, as opposed to just oh well, you you hire on as caravan guards to get to the next city. I know not everybody needs this. I like to have it available. Yeah. Because what happens when one of the PCs says, oh, well, I'm going to rob this caravan. What are they carrying? Yeah, quite. And, and actually, and what happens when one of the wagons falls into the river because some, something the PC has done is what's in their ruin? And does it make sense that they're carrying this stuff? Or is there, has, to be, has there to be something that they're smuggling more valuable and probably illegal? Information is very, very light per unit of value. Yeah. Um, the GM needs to be able to answer these things. It may not be a, a detailed answer, but he needs, and it, and it may be an answer. He needs a sense. He needs a model in his own head. It may be an answer he can make up on the fly. Yeah, but the, the, the information needs to be somehow available. And sometimes, what you need to make up on the fly can be bounced off. Well, what would be good for the story? But if oh yeah, if what's good for the story doesn't make any sense in the long term, you're making a rod for your own back. Because yeah, because it will come back and bite you at a later stage. Once you've established the thing is true, to a first approximation, it's true. Yeah, and then it's going to get used again. How do, there are people. What were people arguing against this? 
perfectly common sense point of view, which we both agree on, on <laughs> on the on this on the Steve um, Jackson's forum. Basically, the just go with this approach. If you're not digging into the underpinnings of the world, you, you and you're and you're prepared to take diktats. Yeah. Which is, you know, right? This adventure is about you being caravan guards, or right? Well, you, you're you're not you're going out adventuring rather than staying in your lab making magic items because that's what you do. Yeah. Um... Which seems to me to be shutting things down. It, it's saying, well, no, we we you don't have the option of making magic items. Um, not you, not you can't do it, but you theoretically can. But I'm not, I'm not going to let you. Yeah, despite... it, it would be perfectly reasonable to say you need a different set of skills which you haven't learned. Yeah, uh, and the next question is, where do I go to learn them? And there are stories in that. Yes. Yeah, well, okay. Yes, you 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 do your twenty year apprenticeship. <laughs> I was thinking more of you. You you travel you travel across across the great desert to meet the guru, who lives lives in the in the pointy big mountain, and maybe you can persuade him, and you can have lots of adventures and do interesting stuff on the way. Mm -hmm. And that's the way to to go with it. Uh, I'm but, not. I, if, if I if I go on any longer about this, I'm going to start bitching about the last season of Doctor Who. <laughs> Heaven forbid. Let, 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 let's pause at this point. Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, a pre-festive edition, with me, Michael Kuehl, and me, Roger Bell-West. If you want to tell us what you want for Christmas, then please you can contact us either on the website or by sending a message to podcast at tekele.ly. And we hope Santa brings you everything that you deserve. Uh, we'll be back next year. Bye. 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 Bye.